Hello and welcome to another episode of a Brothers Creed podcast. We're talking about motivation, experiences, and exploring the world around us. We're the Thomas Brothers. I'm Ethan. And I'm Jared. And today we're talking about an interesting topic. Uh, we're talking about animals today. Uh, animals that have do wonderful things, and then uh, situations where animals have turned on their owners. Uh, there's history is rife. History and humans have had a, uh, or animals and humans have had a very close relationship throughout all of history. Some animals can be domesticated and others cannot. Uh, and so we're going to talk about some of these situations where animals are, have been so influential in, in helping humans, and then in some cases where they have not been that way. <laughs> so uh, excited to get into some of these crazy stories, uh, some of them heartwarming, them heartwarming, and others shockingly disturbing. Uh, some of these... Uh, uh, are, are kind of we're, we're going to show the graphic details with you uh so just a forewarning uh if you uh, are listening in the car with your kids uh might want to uh skip, skip to the end skip to the end uh, skip to the good just the the, the positive stories because some of these other stories are pretty wild yeah uh, yeah we'll, we'll do the we'll do the the uh when animals turn bad at the beginning and then the second half we'll do the good portion <laughs> that's right that's right all right let's do it Spartans! What is your profession? Any man who must say I am the king is no true king. What I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills that make me a nightmare. If I can change, and you can change, everybody can change! Let us all unite! Let us fight for a new world! A decent world! All right. So, uh, like Jared said, today we're going to be talking about animals. Uh, the relationship between man and beast has been uh, a a very beneficial thing throughout history um, to a certain extent. But there has been some times where I would say man and beast have clashed. Um, <laughs> some some animals are uh, a, are domesticated or have the ability to become domesticated over time uh, you know we see that with dogs and cats and and different things um, uh, uh, pets around the home that being said there are some uh, dog type animals that are not domesticated as well um, and the the story I'm going to start us out with is a uh, famous story of some guys that work together that were in the habit of uh, domesticating tigers. Uh, this isn't the Tiger King. Maybe this is the original Tiger King, <laughs> right? I'm never going to financially recover uh, from this. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to get into it. And, and uh, so some of these guys definitely... The uh, Tiger King wasn't got, in the habit of putting his head inside tigers' mouths, though, was he? <laughs> yeah, so so this is the story of Siegfried and Roy. Um, Siegfried and Roy were a duo of German-American magicians and entertainers that were best known for their appearances with white lions and white tigers. Um, they had a, a huge act in Vegas over the course of 50 years. This is, you know, this is a long time. Siegfried and Roy, they performed 30,000 shows to 50 million people 
and generated over a billion dollars in ticket sales. So, wow. I mean, this was a pretty, uh, a pretty big deal. Um, their act fused uh, kind of uh, gigantic mind blowing illusions. They would make elephants disappear and all these different types of things along with uh, mixing in these exotic animals. They would have exotic animals like these white lions and tigers uh, balancing on disco balls over the, uh, the audience. Right. I mean, they were just, they would do all these crazy things. Um, oh, wow. And so in the, the, through, through all the sparkles and explosions that happened during their shows at Vegas, uh, they never really had any serious incidents. Obviously they had trainers and they had different things and, and, and it, nothing ever goes perfect, but I'm sure we all remember, or at least uh, remember, remember hearing about it, the infamous attack. So during one of their shows at the Mirage, uh, in, in Las Vegas, uh, this was on, uh, Roy's birthday. His name was Roy Horn. And on Roy's birthday, it was October 3rd, 2003, a seven year old white tiger named, uh, Manticore attacked Roy. So this tiger, its name was Manticore. It was, a uh, part of this act that they were doing and Roy actually went a little bit off script and he had a microphone in his hand and Roy held the microphone out in front of Manticore, the tiger's mouth and told him to say hello to the crowd. Well, they hadn't practiced this and he was kind of going off script mm -hmm. and Manticore responded immediately by biting horns or the uh, Roy's sleeve. So it bit Roy's sleeve and he started to, uh, you know, swat the tiger and to yell, you know, release, release, which is what their cues were for, you know, whenever they, they needed to, to release, yeah. to let go. And uh, there was a bunch of trainers that are kind of in the wings of the stage that are there, you know, in case of uh, emergencies or whatever else. Well, they tried to. They tried to distract Manticore, this tiger. They tried to distract him with uh, cubes of meat, with toys, with balls, with all different kind of stuff. Trending as as uh, Roy was kind of pulling back and forth. With Did it his bite his arm sleeve. or just his sleeve? At this point, it was just his sleeve. They said. So um, Roy actually started pulling back and, and kind of trying to rip away, and that's when he he grabbed onto his arm. And the they say that it was instinctual for the tiger as Roy was pulling away for the tiger to readjust. basically pull him, pull him in tighter. Uh -huh. And so he readjusted and he started pulling him in and the tiger actually leapt at him onto him. Um, and as the tiger leapt onto him, Roy was standing there. And as the tiger leapt, he sweeped Roy's legs with one of his big Paws sweeped his legs as he leapt at him, uh -huh. and so it was like a, a a sweep of the legs, and then landed on top of him. And uh, all of the trainers uh, rushed in, and they were trying to pull him off of of Roy, but Manticore ended up biting him right in right on his neck, 
and dragged him off stage as <laughs> all these people were trying to to get him separated. No way. And wow. so so he drags him off stage and the trainers were finally able to get him to let go by spraying him with a fire extinguisher. That's the only way oh, wow. that they were, were able to let the, the, to make the tiger let go, sprayed him with the fire extinguisher. Yeah. Um, so in the attack, <clears throat> it, um, it severed Roy's spine. So the, the, oh, the bite to the neck, the bite to the neck from the, the that was a kill bite. That was a kill tiger. bite. Oh yeah, for, for sure. So he was going to drag him up. A, he would have dragged him up a tree if result- there would have been a tree nearby. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, this resulted in massive blood loss. Um, and he was severely injured to several other, other areas of his body as well. Um, this permanently impaired his motor and verbal abilities for the rest of his life. Um, so he didn't still, die. Oh, he did. Yeah. He didn't die. <coughs> so during, uh, as they were rushed him to the hospital and everything else, the doctors said that sometime either during or right after the, the tiger drag drug him off stage, he had a stroke while the tiger was mauling him as well. Oh, because and of so, just the heightened yeah, situation. Yeah, I don't know if it was just the stress or something got knocked loose or whatever else it might have been, but he had a stroke at the same time all this was going on. Um, and, I mean, that could have been due to having your... Maybe the tiger severed. sensed that. Maybe the tiger could so, sense that. Yeah, and so um, it was interesting. So while he was taken to the hospital... Uh, Roy, while he was in the ambulance going to the hospital, he uh, was quoted saying, Manticore is a great cat. Make sure that no harm comes to Manticore. And so he, you know, specifically said, don't, don't hurt the cats. Don't hurt the cat. Um, and then in 2004, so a year later, um, he said that Manticore actually saved his life by, t- by trying to drag him to safety after he had a stroke. So Roy said that, Oh, Oh, I had a stroke while I was interacting with the lion or with the tiger. And that's when he grabbed me and tried to drag me to safety because he sensed that I was having a stroke. I don't uh, know. It sounds like he's trying to protect a legacy, you know, where his, He's got some other guy in there. Maybe it's not Siegfried and Roy. It's Siegfried and trainer number two, you know, where they've got this legacy yeah. royalty so, thing going on and they don't want to get canceled or something. So the the lead trainer, his name was Chris Lawrence. Uh-huh. He later contradicted that theory, uh, Roy's theory, and said that uh, it was due to how Roy mishandled Manticore off and on the stage um and you know i i I don't think there's any doubt out there that these guys loved these tigers that they worked with and lions that they worked with yeah i mean they they created whole lives around them but still i mean pets are kind of like lifelong uh babies that don't do what you ask them to do all the time yeah um so it can be frustrating so, um, 
really interesting. This same uh, trainer stated that he had, uh, there had kind of long been since been problems with the the trainers and Siegfried and Roy as well. And they, they were kind of arguing up to this point and that there was a, that he claimed that there was a, a massive cover-up by the Mirage and the Siegfried and Roy and saying that, oh, it wasn't the Tigers' fault. It was, uh, you know, he was trying to save me and everything else. So uh, the aftermath of this was um, they, they, didn't, they didn't put down the Tiger. Uh, they performed – Siegfried, obviously, was – he continued to kind of do some things, and Roy – he recovered to a certain extent, but he was a very um, immobile. I mean, he had very little range of motion. He could walk, but it was very labored, and he he did not uh, – he wasn't able to speak. Oh, man. Um, and so they performed little shows and some charity things here and there after that, but it really kind of fell off the face of the earth. They – they kind of did a, a TV show that was called Father of the Pride, mm-hmm. and they kind of got into that a little bit. But um, on March 19th of 2014, Manticore, the tiger, died of a brief illness, they said, at 17 years old. Hmm. So, uh, you know, I don't know they didn't say what illness it was. Um, that being Is said, that Roy still alive? So that happened in 2000, the 2003 is when the attack happened. Yeah, yeah. Roy died on April 28th, 2020, after testing positive for COVID-19. Well, everybody was testing positive. So it was probably a coronavirus death. Yeah. So they say that because of all of the pre-existing conditions and, and problems that he had physically, when he got COVID-19, his body just was not able to fight off and recover so he ended up dying uh it during the the kind of the pandemic uh dang sig siegfried and he was 75 years old when he died huh uh siegfried died on january 11th 2021 after uh a fight with uh terminal pancreatic cancer Oh, um so he died at age 81 in 2021 he got off so, easy man he didn't have to get bit by a, mauled by a tiger yeah well <laughs> no, i don't I'm know he probably would have preferred to get mauled by a <laughs> but tiger going through cancer pancreatic cancer <laughs> Jeez. man uh, wow that's I, yeah it was just kind of crazy i i didn't know that they lived that long i mean these guys were pretty old they were mid 70s and early 80s like i mean they lived they did this for a long time that's wild yeah, that's uh, I, I had heard about them. I thought I had thought that they did like an act where they opened the tiger's mouth and they put their head in the tiger's mouth. Uh, kind of was like, oh, look at this. And I had, for some reason, I had thought that the tiger had chomped down on his head, uh, but he would obviously be dead quickly if that had happened. But um, yeah, now you're you're thinking of some uh, alligator show in Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, some some back or in Cambodia or something. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm sure they they, they might have done stuff like that. I don't know, but that that wasn't the specific case on this the when dang. the attack happened. So this one that I, I'm going to share is uh, pretty nuts. Uh, I first of all, I saw this movie called Nope. You you heard that movie? I heard of it. Yeah. So it's like a I think it's a Jordan Peele movie, and it's kind of crazy. Like 
part of the movie is like there was like this sitcom uh, and they had this chimp on the sitcom and one day they were doing like a like an episode like a birthday party episode for the chimp uh, and and then they it was like in front of a live audience and there was like a bunch of balloons or something that started popping under the heat under the lamps like the lighting and like really yep. freaked the chimp out and the chimp like just lost it and like like killed somebody then like went haywire on another lady and that's just, so the, the that's like part of the movie. It, it doesn't show anything, but like the one of the main characters in the movie is who was a kid on that show, uh, and then he later later in his life he like creates like a little bit old western town kind of a thing. It's kind of it's kind of weird, uh, but this reminded me of that. Uh, so there's this uh, this chimp. His name was Travis, but I'll just call him Chimp, uh, and he was a beloved animal actor. And also a local fixture in his Connecticut town, uh, and and then that was w- until he attacked this lady uh, in 2009. So the incident, uh, just kind of a little bit of background for the incident here. So the chimp was born in a sanctuary in 1995. It was taken from his mother at three days old, uh, so pretty early, and was sold to Sandra and Jerome Harold for fifty thousand dollars. That's a lot. Uh, hmm. Maybe it's not a lot. I don't know. I don't know the the animal used used animal market very well. Actually, it wouldn't be that used of an animal. Pretty new. Uh, the chimp was raised alongside humans because Harold uh, and Sandra, uh, or, or Sandra and Jerome Harold, had their own child. Uh, he, the chimp would dress, eventually dress himself, did chores, ate meals. They say he quote used a computer <laughs> close quote. Uh, he knew the times when the ice cream truck would come by. Uh, and so he almost, and he was supposedly liked baseball, uh, you know, so they, they viewed him almost as like a member of the family, you know, ate the dinner table with everybody. Uh, a lot of stuff started happening with this family though. Like in 2000, uh, when, when the chimp was five years old, uh, there, the heralds uh, for uh, like their, child they're one of their children their only child died in a car accident uh and that was really devastating and then uh four years after that jerome the the father died from cancer so leaving just sandra harold uh, and the chimp and in 2003 he began to have kind of fits of erratic behavior he would get out and run around and one time, someone threw some trash at him through a window, it said, and he got out and ran around. They had to go find him and get him back and stuff. And so they had some lifelong monkey, friends. Monkey pox. <laughs> yeah. So they had some lifelong friends. Uh, so this lady, was her name was Ch- Charla Nash. Uh, she was a lifelong friend of the Heralds. And obviously, she had been through them when they lost her child, when Jerome died and all this kind of stuff. So she came over to visit the Heralds' house. Uh, where it was just Sandra and the chimp, uh, and she was just visiting with them. So the chimp started acting really erratic. He started, you know, he grabbed uh, Sandra, Harold's, you know, his keeper, uh, her keys, and, like, ran out of the house. And uh, uh, Miss Nash, she was just there as a friend. She was just trying to help, and they were, like, trying to bait the come here, come here, because the chimp had gotten out, I think in the front yard. Uh, it got outside. It was right outside the house. And they were like, come here, come here. They were trying to bait it back in with the with a Tickle Me Elmo, 
uh, doll. And they, uh, Chimp, it was his favorite toy. He didn't like it uh, at all. And see, the thing is, is that Miss Nash had recently gotten a short haircut. And so they think that maybe he didn't recognize her, that, that he had seen her quite often before. Maybe he thought that she was a stranger trying to steal uh, his favorite toy or something like that. Um, but regardless, the chimp uh, went after her uh, and savagely attacked her. Um, the chimp, uh, basically, they had this tussle in the front yard or or, uh, or right outside the door. It was outside. Uh, the chimp uh, tore away her eyelids, her lips, uh, most of her scalp, uh, her jaw off, uh, her nose off. And while all this is happening, um, the owner, Sandra Harold, is like hitting the thing, hitting the chimp with the shovel. She's trying to get stopped. Just stop, stop. And then it's not doing anything. You know, it's absolutely attacking her best friend, basically pounding her face in. Uh, so she takes a knife and she starts stabbing him in the back. Uh, Sandra had said, quote, for me to do something like that, put a knife in him was like putting one in myself. Uh, close quote. So that was, I mean, it was really hard for her to do that because this was like a her only living child almost. Like she felt like that, you know, uh, really her only living loved one. Well, I couldn't say that because she may have extended family, but of her immediate family, her husband died and her other child died. Uh, and so she then she calls 911 immediately. The 911 and the ambulance comes. But like from what I could tell, the ambulance maybe got there first, but they didn't get out because the chimp was still like running around the front yard. Uh, and uh, the pol- they waited for the police to get there. And then when the police car got there, the the chimp like ran around the, like went up to the police car and started tried to open up all the all the doors, um, and the police officer was like, "What is going on?" And this thing's gone oh, like just enraged, trying to open up all the doors in the police car. And then he finds one that's open. And he rips it open, breaks the window uh, as he's opening it. Police steps out of the car, uh, shoots the chimp several times, uh, and then chimp runs inside into its cage. And, and dies basically, and so the you know what uh, oh, that's crazy crazy experience right? Uh, the fallout from this was pretty nuts. So Miss Nash she survived, uh, and they were actually able they were able to reattach her jaw. Uh, I mean, you just think about like your face, like any loose thing on your face. I mean, just imagine somebody grabbing that and just tearing it. You know. Hauling, just tearing it off, or your ears, or you know, your 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 hair, you know, it's crazy. Uh, that's what happened. So they retached her um, jaw, and she was one of the ones that was given one of those experimental face, full facial transplants, uh, and it was, you know, fairly successful. I guess <laughs> she, you know, it wasn't rejected totally. Um, I I guess, <laughs> you know, what what. When you think about like, is a full facial transplant successful or is it not successful? Uh, it, you can tell that something has obviously happened. Some type of traumatic thing has obviously happened to her. And I don't know what she looked like after she got mauled by this uh, chimp. But, you know, I, I, it looks like the skin took. So uh, th- there's that. It looks like she's probably blind. Uh, it didn't say that she was specifically blind or it didn't say anything about her eyes specifically. But it's my impression uh, 
from my research that she is blind uh, in both of her eyes. And she ended up suing her former friend now uh, for $50 million. Uh, they eventually settled it for $4 million, which is probably just enough to cover the medical bills. I mean, can you imagine getting a yeah. full f- experimental face transplant? I imagine that was millions of dollars no, on its own. Actually, no, I can't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just have had a baby and they charge me and the, the bill's like $50,000, you know? <laughs> so I can't imagine doing something like so extreme like that and all that recovery. Uh, apparently the chimp, they did a study on its brain or something and they found that the chimp was on Xanax uh, during that time for anxiety or something. Uh, apparently Xanax is known to cause some hallucinations in humans. So they don't know if that was what was going on. Uh, they don't know if it was because of her short hair. Uh, they don't know. Uh, one interesting piece that I did not expect out of this uh, was that the the police officer who actually shot the chimp, uh, he was pretty messed up like mentally from this whole thing. Probably from seeing uh, what, the, what happened uh, to this lady uh, and then having to shoot uh, the chimp. And so he... It actually kind of brought more attention to mental health for police officers. Uh, and then it also really brought a lot of change, uh, uh, you know, people trying to make change with lawmakers to reconsider, like, the domestication of exotic animals over 50 pounds. Uh, because, you know, these animals, uh, who knows? The thing is, is that what I found interesting, I think is interesting is that a chimpanzee, if, if it's with another chimp, if it's with the same species, you know, oftentimes these things fight and then they fight back and they're tough enough to, to take it within their own species. Like, if I'm going at it with another, if I'm fighting another guy and we're punching each other and we're like biting each other or whatever, it's unlikely that one of us is going to kill each other or at least like, way overpower someone else. I mean, unless you're going against like it's unlikely the mountain you're or something. Somebody's you know? jaw off. Yeah, unless you're going against someone who's absolutely totally just beast, you know? Like like the mountain you get your head just crushed in. Yeah. Uh but that's what I, that's what I think is really dangerous about these cross species things like a tiger, you know, biting your arm is that that's a big deal whereas if a tiger is biting another tiger, maybe it's not that big of a deal, you know, cuz they're used to that. They're also tough. Um so when you have these big animals that are over 50 pounds, you've got, and chimps are f- really strong, man. They, they just, you know, they, they have uh, no, they have no sense of decency or morals or anything. They're just like, oh, who's this stranger with my Tickle Me Elmo? You're done, you know? Uh, and so that was a pretty crazy story. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to teach a, a wild animal really to, uh, restrain itself and the wild animal itself is like a weapon because they have claws yeah. or they have teeth or their strength is so much to where they could just pound you into you know powder basically yeah well, I think chimps have a uh, pretty large um, like canine teeth as well yeah yeah they can um, that's crazy yeah uh, yeah that's very unfortunate, but wild. Yeah. But it, I wild. think 
I think the both well we've got we've got we've got two more stories. So you share your next story, then I'll share. Yeah. So one. this this next one is kind of a short one. It uh, actually talks about an animal that we had growing up for a very short period of time. Oh yeah. Um, so this is about uh, a ferret. So a ferret is a little uh, kind of I don't know rat looking creature that's <laughs> not- a long rat. <laughs> Yeah, that it's kind of long and furry. It doesn't really have like the face of a rat, or you know, it's it's kind of more like a furry, uh, long animal. Um, <laughs> but uh, and we had one as a little as kids for a while, yeah. uh, but we ended up having to uh, take it back because people were allergic to it, and it was just kind of kind of a big thing. Um, but they're very cute, but. Uh, one thing I think people don't realize with them, and, and I don't particularly remember it from whenever we had one, but from the stories that I've read is that these ferrets are, uh, they're carnivorous creatures. They have very sharp kind of piranha-like teeth that they use to catch mice and other animals and other rodents and different things. So, that I mean, they're hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a Missouri family that had uh, two ferrets as pets and they would just let them roam the house you know willy-nilly and they were domesticated quote unquote um and then one night they woke up and they had a, a newborn baby well that was you know maybe three or so months old and they woke up at night and they heard the baby crying um and so they uh were kind of like oh, okay you know and and they went into the the baby's room expecting that um you know to need a change of diaper or whatever else well when they went into the room the ferrets had gotten into the crib with the baby and had eaten several of the baby's fingers oh my gosh yeah and um so they you know rushed the the, the babies to the hospital and and you know, the best they could, but I mean, there's no retrieving eaten fingers. Um, and it was just something that was just like so crazy that you wouldn't even think of, but they're just these little feral creatures that are running around. And if they see little things that look like worms or whatever else, then I mean, they're nocturnal creatures anyway. Yeah. And you come up against a, a baby who is absolutely defenseless and, and can't even like, you know, have the muscle control to swat something away, uh, is pretty, that's that's pretty gruesome. So, oh man, uh, I can't, I can't imagine. Did they execute those things on the spot? I, I it didn't, it didn't say, but I don't I, think I would be able to control myself, uh, <laughs> to not do that uh, if that was yeah. happening. Yeah. So that's a crazy little story that uh Jeez, man, that that's, i read a, a that's news article on terrifying. So. especially you think ferrets you know but you gotta be so careful with babies man uh, yeah you'd be real careful with babies but uh yeah. when it yeah i was gonna say i think sometimes too you know and, and, and i've always been curious i've never really had kind of dogs and stuff but you know i i, I see some parents that they have their like you know 150 pound huskies or german shepherds or whatever that they they let them sleep with their kind of infant childs and i'm like oh man that thing just rolls over or something it's gonna lay on top of your kid and smother your kid 
like, oh, the, he would never do that. Yeah, well, that lady <laughs> yeah. probably thought that that chimp would never go complete ape on <laughs> yeah. somebody. It just rip somebody's jaw off either yes yeah, when they were sitting knew. at the when they were sitting at the dinner table sharing macaroni and cheese yeah exactly you know? oh so i don't know yeah I, I wouldn't have ever thought that like ferrets would be savage like that it's crazy yeah so my other story is this is something that most people will likely not encounter uh but this one is about humphrey the hippo so humphrey the hippo uh he was a obviously hippopotamus, and there was a farmer in South Africa named Maurice Ells, a 40-year-old retired army major. Uh, he rescued Maurice, uh, the, or he rescued the hippo, uh, and he had a like a 400-acre farm. Uh, he rescued the hippo from a flood when it was a baby, and then he added to his farm where he also had giraffes and rhinos and this kind of stuff. He, he was trying to domesticate these kind of animals. Uh he one of some of the things he had done like a, a YouTube video uh, or a news. There's a YouTube video with him, uh, a news story where they kind of talked to him about stuff. And so he's quoted saying a variety of things. He said, "Quote: They think you can only have a relationship with dogs, cats, and domestic animals, but I have a relationship with the most dangerous animal in Africa." Close quote. Uh, he also said an animal would come. Uh, when he would call it, uh, and he's called it a lovable and gentle giant. Uh, he had taught the hippo to swim alongside him, humans, uh, as it was growing up, uh, and he would literally ride it like a horse. Like in the YouTube, in the video, he is like riding on its back, uh, and it kind of like tosses him off at one point. Uh, he, the hippo was five years old when he was photographed riding its back. He said, "Quote Humphreys." like a son to me. He's just like a human, he said. Uh, there's a relationship between me and Humphreys, and that's what some people don't understand. So he was very tight with this, trusting this giant, giant animal uh, that was 1.2 tons. Uh, so anyway, Maurice's wife had her misgivings about this, uh, especially after it got loose and chased a boy and the boy's grandfather who were on a golf course, or actually they were on a canoe trip. They got chased up a tree and they spent two hours in the tree while this thing was just under the tree, you know, intimidating them. Uh, so it had gotten out on nearby golf courses, uh, terrorized golfers, that kind of a thing. Uh, in 2011, uh, the 1.2 ton hippo uh, was with its owner, Maurice, and it uh, we don't know exactly what happened, but it allegedly bit him uh, and dragged him into the water where he was bit multiple times uh, and let his body was left submerged in the water. Uh, and it was discovered a, quote, a time later. So I don't know how later it was discovered. Uh, it made it seem as though uh, it was just an unknown period. So the paramedics responded to the scene to find the man had been bitten several times by the animal and had also been immersed in the river for an unknown period. Uh, he also explained, uh, the, one of the guys that was talking about the story uh, said that the farmer was declared dead at the scene, but added it was not known for how long he had laid undiscovered. So I guess there's a little bit of mystery there. I mean, we don't know if, uh, 
the guy had died of a heart attack and then the thing pulled him into the water or uh, or what happened exactly, but it, it seems that he was mauled uh, by his hippo. Uh, some of the stories circling around on, on social media say that the hippo ate him, didn't eat him. It just bit him up, bit him a, a little bit, uh, but his body seemed to be mostly intact uh, when they found him. So anyway, that's a pretty crazy story. I don't know that I'll be having any hippos anytime soon. Didn't uh, Pablo Escobar buy a bunch of hippos and have them shipped down to uh, uh, Colombia? And now there's like a bunch of hippos in that area. Yeah, I think they like are considered an invasive species. I think they really took over and kind of wreaked a ton of havoc on the the local area there. Um, I know that humans die unbelievably every year from hippos around the world because they're such dangerous animals. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, so that was be careful when you're around hippos, chimps. Lions, tigers, and ferrets. Yeah. Or any exotic animal that people... Well, first of all, I would, I would say it's a rule of thumb. First of all, do you know where that comes from? Rule of thumb? Apparently, this there's is... A couple, there's a couple different ideas, but... I have read this the day. The, the word, the rule of thumb, is that if you see a nuclear explosion and you stick out your thumb, as far as if you stick out your arm and hold your thumb up, if your thumb can cover the mushroom cloud of that nuclear explosion, you're far enough away to where you would you don't need to get any farther. That's kind of cool, right? Did you, yeah. Did you ever see the the Boondock Saints movie? Yeah, I was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the beginning of that, he says that the rule of thumb is if you uh, were were married, you could. Uh, uh, beat members of your family with a stick as long as it was thinner than the circumference of your thumb. <laughs> that's that's what that's what they say there, but I don't know what's true. <laughs> that's the Irish, That's the Irish method, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I would say be careful of exotic animals that people claim are domesticated, but also animals are often a reflection of their owners. I mean you can like pit bulls those dogs aren't inherently bad. It's just like the owners that are bad uh, and the owners that are neglectful that cause those dogs to lash out and, and hurt people. The, the, the stereotypical owner, because there are probably plenty of pit bull owners that, that do a good job, mm-hmm. but stereotypically they're not trained well. They're not cared for. They're not yeah. provided for. Yeah. So, so let's talk about well, some of the good stuff. Yeah, I was, the, gonna say, I was gonna say let's yeah. let's let's switch it around, right? We talked about some of the some of the bad things that can potentially come out. Um, I want to talk about some of the good things. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is one of the things that animals can do that are very different to humans, um, and this is that there are several different animals that can be used to detect uh, certain illnesses or sicknesses, or they can sense that something is happening uh, in humans. So a couple examples, right? Uh, One of the first examples is uh, dogs. Um, Dogs have been used for years in their skills of detection, right? They can 
detect if someone is one of if their owner is about to have a seizure and um they can they can sense that even before the person has the seizure and they'll come over and sit down in somebody's lap and say you're about to have a seizure and it gives somebody a little bit of forewarning to either lie down or whatever else um dogs can detect breast cancer at an 88 percent uh of uh, 88 percent positive detection rate wow. of, of cases they can detect lung cancer at a 99 percent accuracy wow um i don't know exactly how that's tested but they can de- they can sense high or low blood sugar levels well they could just they say can, all these people have lung cancer get 10 people in a room five of them have lung cancer five of them don't and then they, yeah, they can they can detect yeah who does and who doesn't, whether it's like, you know, they'll sit next to the person who does or whatever else. Yeah. Um, they can detect high and, and low blood sugar levels. They can detect uh, diabetes mm-hmm. and just uh, several other things that are, are very, uh, very useful to know. And not only can they detect these things, but they can be trained in certain situations like the seizures to act and perform certain tasks when that comes uh, or when those when those attacks or whatever come on i heard that recently um, that they there's someone some that can detect gluten in food so people that are like highly sensitive to gluten intolerance interesting that's that was interesting yeah yeah uh fruit flies uh, there have been some uh, an italian study that found that fruit flies can detect certain uh, cancer cells and that they can differentiate between certain cancer cells. Um, they uh, specifically breast cancer. Um, mice have been able to, uh, pr- they can identify the avian flu in, um, in other animals up to like a 90% accuracy. Um, pigeons have been uh, known to they can tell the difference between a malignant and a benign cancer cell uh, oh. they particularly when it comes to breast cancer um, they why is, it, after, why, why is it all these are breast cancer <laughs> well I don't know what about prostate says, cancer <laughs> yeah well <clears throat> maybe breast cancer is closer to the surface <laughs> yeah um, maybe so they uh, they said after even just one day of training of these pigeons, they can identify uh, malignant or, ben- or they can identify malignant cancer cells at a 50% accuracy. Um, and then after 10 days of training, they can do it at an 85% accuracy. Interesting. Um, which they just must be able to, to sense or smell or I don't know, something in it just really interesting uh, the last one here is is rats um specifically the uh the giant african pouched rat it has been trained by humans to do several things one of which is uncover buried landmines oh nice uh and also to detect tuberculosis uh, if there's tuberculosis in the air or an infection, uh, tuberculosis infection in a specific town or whatever hmm. else, they can detect that uh, at an 80% uh, 
accuracy. So kind of interesting. Yeah. How some of these animals can be trained to sense and kind of save lives. Uh, really interesting. And, and I think there's, I mean, there's only more science that we can figure out about, about in situations like this. Yeah. I think that us as humans, we are so dependent on technology that sometimes we don't know our own strengths. I read an article just yesterday about a lady whose husband got Parkinson's disease. And she said that she noticed that he started smelling differently uh, a while before he was diagnosed and he got diagnosed. And she's like, I think I can smell. And then when she went into the Parkinson's clinic, she noticed that everybody else smelled the same way. Uh, and so she, she literally did a study where they brought in like 10 people uh, and she identified, I think it was eight out of the 10 that had Parkinson's. And uh, they're like, oh, well, you misclassified these two people. And she's like, okay. Then like a year later, those people came out as having Parkinson's. Oh, jeez. Uh, and so like she's trying to work with, uh, you know, scientists to figure out, you know, what exactly she's smelling or how, how they can detect that. And so I think when you're really in tune with someone or you're in tune with your senses, I think we could also, humans could also do some great things, but often we dismiss that and we say, oh, animals are so intuitive or they have such great intuitions. But I think if we paid attention more, we might be able to tell those things too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely true. I think a lot of it's just kind of training and people have different abilities and their senses have different strengths. So that's cool. Uh, You know, a couple that I had had thought of just off my, just some of the research I was doing is avalanche dogs. Uh, They're such a cool, those are so cool. I was reading about one in uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming uh, and how these dogs help find people and how they're trained. Just incredible, uh, the history there. I mean, they've been used since, like, I think the 1700s is what I read. Uh, there's dogs that save their... So many stories about dogs saving their owners from fires. Uh, cats protecting the families from bears and mountain lions. Uh, there's lots of stories about dolphins protecting divers and lifeguards from sharks. Um, one of the stories that I, I, I thought was cool that was kind of the main, more mainstream, uh, there was a dog named Conan. Uh, he was a Belgian Molinese. Uh, he was assigned to the first special forces operational detachment Delta. Uh, and he was given a a medal and a a plaque by president Trump, uh, for his heroic acts, uh, in the, in 2019, Conan, the dog was credited with chasing Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi down a tunnel, uh, when they were, you know, going after this, when the special forces team was going into this compound to get him. Uh, the dog chased him down a tunnel uh, during the secret raid. This was the ISIS leader's compound. Uh, the dog was the only member of the Delta team that got injured uh, after the mission. So he went down this tunnel chasing this guy, and the guy pulled a suicide vest uh, and, and blew himself up, and the dog uh, got injured in the tunnel. Uh, they thought it was he was done for. Um, but they picked him up and they took him back. He actually recovered, made a full recovery. And he's actually now back in action. Uh, when Trump presented the dog, he said, uh, this is some of the stuff he said. So he's like, he said, quote, so this is Conan right now, probably the world's most famous dog, uh, going, and then he called him a tough cookie, uh, actually incredible. And the ultimate dogs, a drug sniffer, uh, the ultimate fighter. Uh, so kind of funny. Uh, he made a full recovery and now he's back in service. Uh, so th- that was kind of a cool 
story about a a, a dog that's being used to uh, with our soldiers hand in hand. I mean, I've seen some of these uh, special special forces units like literally strap a dog across their chest and jump out of airplanes. I mean, pretty wild, yeah. pretty useful uh, to have an animal like that with you. And in in I mean, you can't be running down a, a tunnel as fast as a dog can, you know? So, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, they wouldn't do it if it wasn't useful. Yeah. So that's cool. I, uh, I had another story here, which is kind of interesting. <clears throat> I, I had found several stories of, you know, dolphins that have saved, uh, snorkelers from drowning or a whale that protected some scuba diving scientists from some sharks that were in the area. Um, and so this is kind of a, a, a story similar to that, but there was a man named Kevin Hines uh, who had suffered for years uh, from mental illness. Uh, and this mental illness, when he was 19 years old, led him to attempt to take his own life by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Um, so uh, astonishingly, when he jumped, when he hit the water, the impact of the water did not kill him. Uh, but it, it he suffered several severe injuries, uh, broken bones, a broken back uh, from the fall and the impact with the water itself. Jeez. Um, so once he was in the water, yet still alive and conscious, he was trying to stay afloat, uh, in the freezing water the best that he could, uh, but could, couldn't, couldn't keep his head above the water until he felt, uh, a creature from in the water. Uh, and it really kind of scared him until he realized that this animal was, uh, it kept bumping him so that he would kind of raise up and his head would come above the water. And then as he would start to kind of sink back down, he would bump him again and he would come back up and his, his head would come up out of the water. Um, and it just kind of kept bumping him to keep his head out of the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, although he didn't know what the animal was or what, what was going on at the, the time, he actually found out later by uh, onlookers and, and people that were recording it and, and, and taking pictures that it was a sea lion that was kind of underneath him and that kept kept bumping him up just to kind of keep his head gently above the water until the uh, rescue boats came out and were able to uh, save him. And so cool. I just kind of thought that was a really cool story about a completely wild animal yeah. that saw someone or another creature in distress and decided to help um and so now this guy kevin hines he kind of travels the world educating people on mental health and suicide prevention and everything else so uh really kind of a crazy story i mean it's hard to not see like a divine intervention there you know (laughs) oh for sure so that's pretty cool uh let's uh there uh, before I, i share my last story that's i have one more story that's really short but it's very heartwarming uh, I think I want to end on that one, but let's tell the story about how an animal saved our grandfather's life, and we probably wouldn't be here today if it weren't for this animal. Yep. Uh, 
So maybe I'll just start to tell Ethan if if you see think of any details that I'm leaving out, you can go ahead and and jump in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so our grandpa uh, on my mom's on our mom's side, he was uh, when he was just a little little guy. He was just barely scooching around, kind of a thing, not even able to really crawl yet, just able to scooch. Uh, his parents were doing some yard work, uh, and they had laid out a a towel, a big blanket on the front porch and they had just put him on the blanket with a couple toys uh, and they were just doing some yard work in the garden just right close by, uh, maybe around the side of the house. And uh, the uh, the way that the porch was is that like the spindles on the porch, uh, they didn't go all the way down to the, to the base of the porch. There was like actually a little gap there uh, so you could sweep off the porch real easy. And uh, anyway, so my great grandparents are doing stuff in the garden or whatever. Then they come. Let's say, oh, let's go check on AJ. So they go around and they see that uh, the little baby, our grandpa, had kind of scooted his way, uh, and his legs went over the porch, went under that little like uh, two by four gap. Or the gap between the two by four and the porch. Uh, his body went through that, but his head was too big to fit through that, but his body was hanging off the porch, and his head was stuck. Uh, so they don't know how long he had been like that, but luckily, luckily, uh, one they had an old, old sow, an old pig uh, that was theirs, and it had walked up and stood right under him so that he was able to kind of stand on it uh, or take some pressure off of his neck so he didn't basically strangle or hang himself off this porch. Uh, and so they found that that pig holding him up so that he stayed alive. So anything you'd add to that, Ethan? Yeah, no, that that was that was a good description of the story. And it's, that's how I've heard it. And, you know, I, I just thought it was kind of crazy how I mean, kids can get into anything. They'll just wiggle, wiggle through any little crack that they can. And uh, he was almost just dangling there by his head and his neck hanging off the porch. And this pig, I don't know if it knew what it was doing or not. I like to think that maybe it was, or like you said earlier, Jared, divine intervention. This pig just decided to stand under and support his body, take the weight off of his neck and head. Until, until his, the arrive. parents came around. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. cool. Story. I think that pig, that pig had a, a Brothers Creed podcast in mind. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. just imagine that. Like the, I mean, there's generational impacts of of just that one animal intervention. So it's pretty cool, and I think that there. I'd have a hard time eating that pig, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I just let that one die of old age. <laughs> yeah. So the last story that I, Ethan, do you have any other stories? Nope, that's it. So last story I had, this one is just so heartwarming for me. I, I just read this and I was just like, this is too cute not to share. So there was a, a boy named uh, Real Gunyan. Uh, he was in Ontario, Canada, and he was out camping on a trip with his parents. And his parents decided to go fishing just in a boat right in like a river right in front of him. Uh, and he stayed on shore to just was hanging out in camp basically. And he was a, a young guy and he 
apparently witnessed his parents' boat tipping over, and unfortunately, both of his parents drowned. Uh, and so he was all alone in the woods. Uh, panic-stricken, he just kind of attempted to walk to the nearest town, uh, and but it started getting dark out, and he realized that he would have to spend the night outside. So he just laid down on the ground, you know, basically traumatized from this whole ordeal, and then he felt a warm, furry body press up against him. Uh, thinking it was like a dog, he just fell asleep. And he woke up the next morning, and he found three wild beavers had come up and snuggled up against him, and they had saved him from freezing to death overnight because the temperatures dipped below zero. So, Beavers. Beavers. Three beavers came up and snuggled up next to him and saved his life. Isn't yeah. that crazy? It's wild, man. I just... Yeah. Three little beavers, you know, the warm beaver pelts just laying right on this <laughs> little boy, you know, protecting him. But mom and dad were watching out for him somewhere, you know. They were calling any, any favor they could uh, from the big man yeah. to help protect their son. So uh, I thought that was a very heartwarming story. Just, again, wild animals um, helping other other creatures in need. So uh, very cool. It's so cool how uh, animals can be so uh, so good. Uh, and, I mean... You've got to be careful because they can go wrong, but uh, they can also be so good. And so it's yeah. this is very interesting, uh, very interesting topic. And I think it's, it's just there's so many people that have had different experiences, positive and negative, with different animals. And yeah. so, I mean, we, we, we coexist with animals on this planet. We, we, we always have. And I mean, they're here for a reason and we're here for a reason and we're meant to coexist. And so. I think just there is beauty in the things that animals can do in anything from being able to sense or detect things to the strength and the power that they have. Um, but like you said, it's a matter of being you know, trust, but verify, right? <laughs> yeah. I think it's the same thing. With, it's the same thing with people, right? Yep. There are people that are capable of great, great, great things, but there are also people that are capable of, atrocities very very bad bad things yeah. and you know you could talk about the difference between oh maybe if a person does something bad it's more malicious in nature and character when an animal does something bad maybe it's more instinctual um yeah. survival based um but this has been a really cool episode for us to kind of talk about some of these some of these stories yeah so uh thanks for joining us everybody what well, we appreciate you joining us and also and exploring these new topics and learning about the 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 different sliding scale of animals and, uh, and how to appreciate them and respect them for the power that they have. So uh, thanks, everybody, and let's build that creed together. All right, let's do it.